You need to sit down and get a lawyer and just say, we want to lay all the expectations about how the company's divided. Also, you want to decide what workloads, like maybe one person is going to do more work. Maybe one person will be in the office all the day. One's going to work remote. One's going to be maybe only working 20 hours a week because they have kids or they have other commitments. Whatever it is, that all has to be laid out. It has to be very clearly defined. And then maybe every once a year, you should meet at least once a year and let's review everything, what worked, what didn't work. It's better just have those constant conversations when the anger or the frustration is short and small before it becomes a beast that devours your company. Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Life Professionals and for Life Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we are going to do something completely different. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be wacky. Guess what? We're going to be replaying us being interviewed on another person's podcast. Actually, a couple of people's podcasts. You guys, I hope, are already listening and following this. If you're not, you need to. These are two of our favorite people. Cheryl and Emery from The Untamed Artistry have a podcast called The Untamed Podcast. And actually, I think it's exceptional. It's great stuff. They do a lot of amazing interviews. And I've always loved their DNA. I feel like they're our like, sister company. If, if we had to pick one, I mean, sorry to all the other brands out there. Untamed is they're lash nerds, and we're lash nerds, and it's just, it's just a big, happy family. Anyhow, we're excited that they asked us to be on their podcast. We were quite a while ago, and I asked them if I could, at some point, take that same podcast and repurpose it and put it on ours, because I still felt like the content was great, and it was useful, and we're talking about partnerships, and testing and talk about our partnership and how we work together and all the stuff that goes with it. Because partnerships, I don't believe are for everyone. I really think it's, it's difficult. You, you can get into a partnership and before you know it, you realize you like married the wrong person, right? And that's a heartbreaking moment. And so we talk about some of the things and our struggles and some of the things, how we work and all that. And hopefully for you, those of you who are thinking about partnerships, at least we'll give you a little bit more insight. And especially if you have a partner that you're married to or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever, and you're like, tight and now you're thinking about doing business together it's not for everyone so we hopefully will give you guys some insight and tips on that so anyhow before we get into that or sharing the clips from that i do have announcements guys and then one week we have our big party guys we're going to be in vegas on june 25th at the ibs show and we have basically i'm pretty sure we still have some tickets left to sell you don't want don't want to miss this party it's uh basically going to be at the sahara hotel in the penthouse that Lenny Kravitz built, or designed, I should say. And we have a swag bag for the first 100 people. It's well over $400 worth of value. It's amazing. It's from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. It's going to be the best and biggest party. We're going to have music. We're going to have food, drinks, all that stuff. But you do need to have a ticket to get there. You need to buy your ticket. So go to the show notes right now and click on the link and go buy your ticket or just go to our Instagram, click on the link there, and buy your ticket today. Get it before they sell out. We can't let people in. There's only only so much room, right? It's, it's a big place, but we only fit about 250 people. And then after that, it's going to be really tight and you're going to have to sit outside till and just help us clean up at the end. That's when we'll let you in if you have a ticket. <laughs> so probably not the time you want to come. And by the way, we do want to give a big shout out to a whole bunch of brands. I'm going to say all these sponsors because they're the ones who made this possible. They are giving to the swag bag. We have Borboletta Beauty, Ellie Bonnet, Indoor Beauty, Island Lash, Illumino Lashes, Lash Boulevard, Lash Base, Livia Lash, Loved and Lash, Luna Kai Lash, Maven Artistry. A lot of lashes, huh? My Brand Lashes, My Lamination, Prolong, Ruthie Bell, Sinful Lashes, The Lash and Brow Academy, The Lash Co., The Lash Ritual, Volume Lashes Co., and Fangirl Society. Guys, that's an amazing lineup. Just a, and a lot of, most of them are going to be there, guys. We have all these influencers. Also, Ali from Last Anarchist, Mike and Shauna from Live Bay, and the list goes on. We're partnering with Shelby from Last Boss Radio. So if you really want to meet some of your favorite people in the industry, this is the party to come to. Plus, um, there's going to be so much value with the swag bag, food, the fun, and all that stuff. All right, last con tickets. Maybe close to selling out. I know at the time I'm recording this, we had less than 70. $797. There's a payment plan. You can still divide it up into four payments. We will have to end that soon because if we don't end that soon, this payment plan will go past LashCon itself. So if you want to get in now at the cheapest price, $797, divide it up to four payments where it's a little over $200 a payment. Super, super affordable and budget-friendly. And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, Tessa's um, last Recycling or Retention and Styling Courses 
out. The dates, August 6th and 7th in Indianapolis, August 27th, 28th in Vegas, October 15th, 16th in Washington, the state of Washington. And that's up outside of Seattle, like an hour or so out of Seattle. Boston, November 19th through the 20th and December 3rd and 4th. We're going to be in Los Angeles. Go to the link in the bio, buy your tickets. Those are limited seats to each of those places. So we hopefully will see you there. Ah, okay, that's it, that's it. All right, so let's sit down with Paul and Tuss as <laughs> our next thing is where Cheryl and basically Anne-Marie sit down with me and Tuss and interview us. Hopefully you find it useful and valuable. Otherwise, um, let's get into it. Hi, Lashners. Welcome back to another episode of I was going to say Matcha Monday, but another episode (laughs) of the Untamed Podcast. And today we have our special guests with us, Paul and Tussany. For those of you who don't know, Paul and Tussany also have their own podcast, probably one of the biggest podcasts in our industry. I think it is the biggest podcast in our industry. And yours truly had the pleasure of being on that podcast more than once, you know? So (laughs) today it's my turn to return the favor invite you guys on to our podcast so that we get to introduce you to our audience and then also just have a conversation with you guys because it's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you guys. So before we get started, could you guys tell our audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you guys do and your businesses in the industry? Yeah, you go. Well, I'm a lash artist. I have been doing lashes since 2005. 17 years, guys. Dark ages. Oh, geez. (laughs) First opened my business, I couldn't call it lashes because nobody even knew what that was, right? I did skincare. I mostly worked with plastic surgeons and and in med spa surroundings. And so my plan of business was to do facials. And then while they were lying there on the table, I had offered to do their lashes for free, you know, and it was a great opportunity to grow, grow my skills. (laughs) Yeah. And then also because, you know, and then get them hooked because no one called around those days saying, can I have lashes? Because they just didn't. They didn't exist. Yeah. 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 Fast forward several years, there was a lot of demand for it. I started the salon. In the Um, middle of the Great Recession, she hired her first employee in 2009. Yes. Risk taker. I like it. Well, her demand was crazy. Even though the economy was a disaster, people who had money still want to look beautiful. Actually, I think really the beauty industry as a whole is recession-proof. Because people just want to look beautiful. And lashes make all the difference, as we all know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I started hiring people and I got too big for my britches. Didn't know what I didn't know. I had some problems retaining staff because um, not good leadership. And that's when I asked Paul to help me. I said, I really need some help. I really don't know what I'm doing. And 2011, I joined her again, knowing no idea how to run a salon, no good leadership. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So So we, the problems continued with that, but we learned as we went. And by 2013, after we had a walkout, we we hired a coaching company, learned how to do business finally, really learned a lot, grew up a lot as leaders. Grew up. And then, yeah, then we really now in 2019, we closed our salon, but we had 2018 start our podcast, Last Cast. We're actually in four and a half years into our podcast now. It's been crazy. Yeah, it's been going on a long time. So at least relatively speaking for podcasting in the last world. So we've been doing that for about four and a half years. And we basically then also launched our conference, which we started thinking about 2018. In 2019, we launched LashCon or now the Lash Conference. And that's been going for three years. We're going into our fourth year. And we're really excited to be doing that. We had uh, almost 500 people come last year. And this year, we're right now, we have over 750 people coming to LashCon. So it's insane. Yeah, we're mainly now focused on coaching, training, helping our lash artists with their business, because that's something that we struggled with all our careers. Mm. We felt like there's just not enough business and help out there. And Tusney has a very unique approach towards lashing that isn't really taught in our industry. So between her kind of unique bent towards lashing and us helping me with my background in the business, I feel like we kind of have a, a double threat there, helping people with two different aspects of their career in the, in the lashing industry. Mm-hmm. I think we share the same audience because I know, Cheryl, you guys are really big on learning and asking why. And you are the self-styled nerds, lash nerds of the of the whole industry. I wish we were called that, but you just yeah. got that. No, before. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, good. 
you know, I think our audience tends to be learners. Yeah. They are humble. They're willing to say, I don't know something because they, they want to know more. I tend to think of them as the best of the best and the, the cream of the crop because they are always seeking to do their best and they pursue education and they pursue excellence. And I think your audience is very similar. And I think we share a lot of the same values. In same that DNA. Yeah. So I'm so excited to be on your show today because we so believe in what you guys are doing. Yeah, I think I've almost listened. I might have missed the last two episodes, but I think I've listened to all your guys' episodes. I'm always excited to learn from you guys and listen to what you're doing. And I feel like you guys are just adding another whole voice that's needed in our industry and really appreciate what you two are doing. Oh, thanks. Thank yeah. <laughs> We're just a curious bunch, you know, leading a curious bunch. And you guys do fulfill a lot of the curiosity. And I think that that's what you're talking about. The learner mindset really stemmed from curiosity, right? And it's being fascinated by things and wanting to understand things more. So speaking of understanding things, there's so much that I wanted to dive in with you guys from that growth of a leadership to change of business model, all of it. But today specifically, because we do not have whatever, even though as much as I wish we do, I want to dive into something that's a little bit more kind of common and not really talked about in our industry, partnership. Those of you, obviously, I hope you guys can tell by now, Tessany and Paul are a married couple, happily married couple. And you guys are also in business together. And I think that that dynamic that you guys have is very interesting. From a third person perspective, I think you guys work really well together. Just like you guys said, you guys are have complementary skill sets. And then also coming together, it's really powerful in the values that you offer to the industry. And I know personally, I've been partners with my husband now. It's so weird to call him a husband. You know, not too long ago, he was still boyfriend. Anyways, Phil, we were starting UA together as well. And, you know, he is a shareholder of the company. So I personally also have some experience being partners with my partner. And I know a lot of stylists have this experience. So today, maybe we can dive in a little bit deeper into this partnership in business when it's also partnership in life, giving our audience a little bit of the behind the scene of what it's like being in business partnership with your partner, as well like some of the highs and lows, the pros and cons, but also giving them some advice on how to navigate this more complex relationship than maybe just a regular business partnership. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, this is actually something I'm, we need, need to talk about because I've actually, there's a lot of partnerships out there and I meet with people from our businesses in the last world and not all are going well. They'll secretly off the mic or off the record say, well, actually, we're really struggling with this. This is not easy. There's a lot of trying to find out the boundaries and what's, what am I good at and where were they at? And then sometimes jealousy creeps in because maybe one is kind of like rising up and be the other one. The other one's a little bit more of a supportive role. So or resentment creeps in. Yeah. Because one person's For not sure. caring as much as the other. Yeah, and- one's not carrying the ball as much. So now there's like, why aren't we both carrying the ball the same? Or So there's lots of the unpack there. We, I love yeah. to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Another thing is you can't run away from it, right? Like you can't just go home and then vent to your other partner about it because the partner you normally vent to about your work is now the partner that you want to vent about. So <laughs> <laughs> it makes it so complicated. Yeah. But before, I guess where my starting point would be, it's a pretty conventional wisdom, I find, that people would always tell you that don't get into business with your family. Don't yeah. get into business with your significant other because it complicates the relationship. It adds burden to relationship. Interpersonal relationship is already hard as it is. It's adding a lot of extra pressure. So what made you in 2011, Paul, to say, you know what? I'm going to go against the conventional wisdom. My wife needs me and I'm going to go give this. Like what went through your mind to make you decide that you want to go into partnership with Tessany? Yeah, and I would concur with that conventional wisdom that generally speaking, it's not the best way to go for most people. But at the same time, like anything, there's always exceptions to the rule. And I felt like ours was one of those because really, like a lot of couples, opposites attract. And Tess and I, in a lot of ways, are opposite in a lot of ways. And that can be, and we have a lot of commonality as far as passions, but I think as far as the way we operate and function, we're opposite of each other. Like she's truly the artist. I'm a little mini artist in my way. I'm a little bit of a writer and all this stuff. But she, I knew when I met her, I was just amazed. Like she just really creates beauty. She's great at doing that. 
but she's also a total scatterbrain, like a true artist and has no idea what's happening next in her day. No, logistics are not my issue. Just the other day we had, a, it was for Easter. I was I oh, yeah. committed to making an appetizer for dinner of the some dinner. friends. We were going over to dinner and I read the recipe, but I didn't realize there's other pages other than the first two. There's more to the recipe. And so I started working on the recipe and I'm like, oh no, we have to cook it for 40 more minutes. And and I, I was, she thought it'd be an hour and it was going to take three hours and we ended up being an hour and a half late and, to And dinner. I just, I begged him. I said, I please, I know this is an imposition, but I need you to switch gears and I need you to start ordering me around the kitchen because I will be here for another three hours. And so yeah. anyway, anyway. So, so I sat down, read everything, figured out how we would do it. And then I enacted the plan. And that's really kind of a short picture of what we are, how we operate. In 2011, she basically had hired a manager who came in and the manager basically began to put systems in the place, but really we found out start stealing money from the company immediately. So she stole a bunch of money and we realized, okay, that's not working. And like a lot of salon owners we meet, they go, yeah, the books no longer are going to be open to the public. I need a loved one, someone who I'm either married or very close to a family member, someone who I can trust to help oversee the books so that money isn't falling out of my company without noticing it. So I came on in 2011 because I really saw a need that she was a great artist, great lash artist. She could train and teach people how to do lashes, but she could not run a business. She hated confrontation. She hated managing people. She hated orchestrating, organizing the company. I'll have you know, though, that at the time I didn't, I wouldn't have characterized myself as that. I wouldn't have said, I hate leadership. I don't like talking to people because I thought that I did. And I thought that I could do a good job on it. It really wasn't until I began to see how it's supposed to be. Oh, no, it's not supposed to be. Not my strength. Leadership isn't leading by a memo. That kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. To share with you, though, that prior to him coming on, and I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here, give you a little bit more of the tea. This was a time between Paul and I that was not good. Every marriage has rough Mm. patches. We were in a big rough patch, so much so that I had even said, I'm calling it quits. You know, I had paid for Mm. an attorney and I would say to him, we're going to stay together for the kids, but so we'll have a good time together. But don't forget, I'm going to divorce. We'll be friends, but yeah, I'm going to divorce. Divorcing you. Okay. And so the thing was, it's like, and a lot of that was built on a lot of water under the bridge and mistrust. We weren't on the same page about our occupation. And I didn't feel that there was a lot of support. And one of the reasons why I started the business was because I needed stability and I knew that I could do it. So I was like, I'm going to do it. And whether you come along with me or not. So as it started taking off, we were pretty much separate at these ways. He was doing his thing and I was doing mine. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was an act of humility to say, will you please help me? I need your help. And when he finally said, yes, I will help you. I will surrender what I want to do, what I've wanted to do for the past 15 years, past 10 years. And I'm going to lay that aside and I'm going to help you fulfill your dreams. That was what captured my heart again. That's mm-hmm. what Again, the healing of it our marriage. Because for 15 years, I pursued my film career and was working, doing my thing. And I would say I was relatively successful, not making a ton of money, but making a lot of connections and really doing, had my own little small pond. I was doing okay. But it wasn't great money. I mean, Hollywood, unless you're at the top tier, you just don't make great money. Mm-hmm. So, so we I think for, So we struggled. And I think we that's struggled. where a lot of her disappointment came from in me. It's just like, well, I expected we'd have all the success by now. And then when her business took off, I actually did. It was really easy. I was like, okay, we can keep struggling with my business or see her business blowing up. I had to be humble and to say, you know what? I, I'm going to bet on the horse that's winning right now. And her horse was winning. And I really had to step down. And I think for her, it really was a recognition of me saying, you know what? You supported me for 15 years in my career and my business. And now it's time for me to support you with your career and your business and just step aside and see what we can do and how we can make her and her thing blow up. And he he really laid it down. And for me to see that that sacrifice that he was willing to do for me, it was like, it just, it made me love you again. It yeah. made me remember like, oh, this is why I picked him. You know, he really is my hero and I need him. Because for a long time, I was like, I can do this. I'm strong. I'm fully independent. I don't need anybody. I'll I'll show you. But I really did. I really did need him. As a team, it worked out because, I mean, for me, all before working with her, my job, a lot of times when I worked in companies, I was always like the right-hand man. My job was to make things happen. The boss would say, I got this big vision. And I'm like, and he's like, I have no idea how to do it though. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I can make that happen. And then my job was to sit down, calculate, break it down to small parts, well, all the action points and, and schedule it, figure it all out and make it a reality. And that's 
kind of what, what Tuss was. Tuss was a big idea person, a lot of vision, but does not a lot of know-how. Just and so my job was that. always sit down and go, okay, what are you trying to accomplish right now? Break it down and say, okay, we can do that or we can't do that. And then I would just schedule it and break it down to smaller parts and plan it out. <laughs> and I felt like that's why it works so well for us. And maybe some of our couples, it doesn't because they're not complementing each other. They're almost like competing for the same role. They're both trying to be the CEO of their company and they can't be. Like only one CEO. You can't have two CEOs. One person's more the action person, maybe one person's the idea person, or maybe one's the creative and one's more the details person. And that's kind of why it worked out when I sat down and was analyzing, like, should we do this? Should we do this? Because I was thinking that you shouldn't partner with your wife or your or your business partner or your, or your spouse or anyone that's really that close to it. It can be really hard. And I felt like, but man, our we really don't cross over. Like when we got in the salon, she was just responsible for training staff. That was it. Outside that job, do lashes, train a staff. My job was everything else from the hiring to the front desk management, to the product ordering, to the team building, all the other things were on me. So it really, we had very clear lines of what we needed to do. So there was never confusion or a fight over control over, well, I want us to wear these uniforms. Well, I think those uniforms suck. You know, it wasn't, we didn't have those debates because we really saw clear lines in our jobs. So yeah, it sounds like there was humility on both sides. And then there's also sacrifices that's made. And I think that often when we enter into partnership, does seem like it's promising a brighter future. And then we don't really think about the sacrifices that it requires for that brighter future. And also what you guys have is this textbook visionary versus executor type of dynamic, which is so, so crucial in any partnership, whether you're partnering with your significant other or just a business partner. And I think that Marie and I kind of have that dynamic. Tessany, you and I are like twins. <laughs> like I have a similar story where I once thought I was going to bake an apple pie with my best friend. And I was like, oh, I love apple pie. Coming over, hang out. Okay, let's bake an apple pie from scratch. And let's just say I thought an apple pie would take like an hour, but it takes like four hours. We ended up like going to the grocery store and trying to buy an apple pie and it didn't work out. <laughs> the story ended with me and her at McDonald's at 1 a.m. buying a frozen apple pie to go home. Because <laughs> anything I have is persistent. I want an apple pie. So I totally get you. And Amory is really the person that really helps me. Like these podcast episodes, right? She scheduled it into my calendar. Like I can show up and I really enjoy doing these things. But nuance is that the logistic side of it really holds me back. And I think it really becomes disruptive to the business that I'm trying to build. So having somebody like the dynamic that you guys have in Visionary, who can see the dream, can see the big picture, and then having an executor like Paul can like really figure out <laughs> the nuances and how to make that dream come true. Because a vision is nothing without execution. And execution is a multiplier of an idea. <laughs> so you guys do have a very magical dynamic there. And I actually have an opposite experience or story to share, just to give our listener a range of what could happen in a partnership. So with my partner, Phil and I, we are actually very similar. Both of us are visionary. So we actually ended up clashing a lot. And in the beginning, what we thought was, I'm going to take over the vision and the business, and then he would help with the operation. But if you put someone like me, a visionary, into operation, hot mess express, okay? <laughs> hot mess. Nowadays, like I remember the other day, we are like, oh... You know, my our current CEO was like, ah, did you, like with the office insurance, like when is the renewal date and blah, blah. And then we asked Phil, he's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I got it at some point. Like, you know, it's just, I think that, that you can love your partner and you can have such great admiration for them. But when it comes to making those decisions, would you guys say, what would be the key consideration? There's this, how you guys work and what other key consideration that you should consider before diving into a committed business relationship with your significant other or just with anyone in general? Well, for me, I would say humility is a real cornerstone for our relationship to have that humility, which you mentioned earlier, which I think makes it able to defer and work together. Because if you're the type, if you're a really type A personality and you know what you need done and you want it done this way and you're kind of a control person, it's going to be tough to, if you get two of those people together, whether both artists or both type A's, you're going to conflict. Like we even saw that with hiring staff. Like if we had too many type A's on our staff, it would actually create conflict because they're just all like, we know what we're going to do. We're going to take over the world. 
And someone's like, no, we're not. We're going to do it this way. And then everyone's like fighting each other. And you realize they're all good intentions, but they, it, it's hard to find that common ground to work together. So for us, we really had a certain softness towards each other, deferring to each other. It was weird because it was born out of strife, really. We, we, this whole relationship or partnership was born out of almost like a last-ditch effort to make our marriage work. Because if it didn't, I don't know if we'd be here today. Like it might have ended. So I want to add on to that by, again, sharing a little bit more than you're probably asking for. And and that is... We love it. (laughs) We appreciate it. This is our philosophy towards marriage. And it means so much to us now because for a time being, we didn't have it and we almost divorced. So now we committed to this when we first, you know, walked down the aisle and we said our vows, but we didn't quite understand what it took. Now we understand what it took. So what I want to say is that our relationship, we believe is a covenant. Basically, I covenant to be together with you, to honor you, to respect you, and you do the same for me. And the person that holds us accountable if we fail, we believe is God. And so my responsibility is to God. It's not to him. So, Because sometimes, frankly, he's going to disappoint me and he's not going to deserve my respect. But yet (laughs) I am committed to respecting him because of my relationship with God. And many times I guarantee you that I am not loving and I am not patient. Yeah, I'll I'll say say that's true. (laughs) And he is committed to honoring me and being patient with me even when I'm ugly, regardless of why I deserve it, because of his relationship to God. And so that takes some of the pressure out. It doesn't mean that it's easy. But we actually believe that the covenant is like, if this contract, this marriage fails between us, we are responsible to God for that. And that's something that we take really, really seriously now because we almost lost it. And also because we believe that the most important thing is honoring God with our lives because we've come from the darkness and absolutely being devastated by things that have happened in our lives to actually know that the only thing we can count on is our faith in God. So that's what motivates us. It is this commitment to honoring God, which makes it possible for me to love him when he is unlovable and for him to love me when I'm unlovable. So that underlines everything. So to me, it's like, if this doesn't work out, it's going to be on me. So I am compelled to want to, if he's saying something that I completely disagree with, I have learned that it goes well with my soul when I say I disagree with you, but I'm going to submit on that because you're responsible to God for it. He's going to hold you responsible better than I can. So I'm going to submit on this, you know? Yeah. So if we crash and burn, it's on me. It's on you. That's right. (laughs) But I think also, I think for us with this whole thing of what makes a good fit, because obviously this is for, we have a very common spiritual type of sense of commonality that helps us have a good foundation. But I know other people are going to be at different places on that and it may not be where they're at. But also when you're looking at working out a partnership, aside from like humility or for us, we have that common, our faith is a commonality. You need to see really where your strengths and weaknesses are, because if you do line up in the same places where you're both strong, I don't know if you're going to complement each other. I don't know if it's going to really be a good partnership. Because like, oh, we're both really good at this. Like, well, then you only need one captain. You don't need two. Yeah. It, it causes more yeah. friction. We have two captains. So, sure. you, you know, and in our salon, it made, like I said earlier, it was really, really easy. If she just trains the staff, <laughs> like how to do lashes, that's, I can't teach lashes. I don't do lashes. So that way I take over the business. And it's the same way we do with our podcast, the same way we do with everything else we do. And if it's business, that's always in my camp. I always look at that. Our, we have very clear defined boundaries. Tuss will come to me and give me ideas like, hey, we should do this or that. And I'm like, oh, that's impossible. Okay, fine, we'll do it. And that's, <laughs> I'm learning to say yes more than no. Because uh, it's so easy to always say no at first. Because as someone who likes to do things and get things done, I'd always feel like I don't need more to do in my life. And she just spills and vomits ideas all over the time. <laughs> and I'm always like, but I'm learning to say yes more because I think she's brilliant. I just need to recognize, like, let her say yes and I'll figure it out. But I think for us, realizing the partnership would work because we just had very clear, we knew what we're good at. So if you don't know what you're good yet at, that's the problem that can happen. I think with partnerships, you won't know until you get into it. So you just have to figure it out. It's going to be messy and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to step in each other. But if you have that respect still, say, look, it's okay. Right now, we're going to figure out what we're good at, what we're not good at. And then you start to define that, start to create those categories. Like, okay, you know what? I'm really the best person for marketing in our company. So maybe you become the marketer or you become the branding person because maybe you're really good with words and you're good with colors and schemes and laying out things and design. But you only figure it out by you two working on that company and you figuring out what you're good at. So I love this term. Action brings clarity. 
And mm. the only way you're going to figure out what you're good at is by you just doing. So if you're okay in the beginning, when you start working with someone, go, you know what? Right now, let's realize we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to make mistakes, but we're going to have a ton of grace. Grace is going to be our foundation that we build this upon. So there's a lot of forgiveness and a lot of still respect despite the mistakes. You can succeed because you're going to figure out over time, over the next year or two, oh, I get it. I'm good at this. You're good at that. And then you begin to create those columns that you put into your job description say, okay, these are my areas. And I will now, from now on, when it comes to this other stuff, I always defer to my partner on the other things. Like, oh, when it comes to, let's say, maybe banking or taxes or numbers, you know what? My partner is the one that's going to do all that stuff because I hate that. I know a mess and I screw up everything when I start trying to get into the bank accounts and moving money around and maybe I mess it all up. So you have to really have this commitment to being working through and learning and being okay with mistakes in the beginning because we don't always know what we're good at and what we're not good at, especially if you're new at business. So I actually have a question. So this is everything that helped you decide and build along. But now that it's been so many years later and this is all well established for you both, what are the challenges that you have now versus then? Like what's hard now? <laughs> I think my biggest one, I'll just say that came to pop to my is shutting it off. Oh yeah. We literally spend 24-7 here. We have one car. We don't even need two cars. So we literally work together, live together, hang out together. We're pretty much stuck at the hip. And I remember our kids at times, we'd get home from work and be like, we had to make a commitment to them. When we get home, we're having dinner or hanging out. We're not talking about work. Because they'd be like, stop talking about work. You yeah. I'm talking about work. <laughs> It's like, it's true. Yeah, I mean, we'll be yeah. at a restaurant, we're eating. And I'm like, I'm like watching how they're working, the servers and how the restaurants operate. I'm like, that's a great idea. Did you see what they just yeah, did? Yeah, that's that's really, and the kid's like, stop it. Stop it. No more of that. Like, Aww. just shut up. And like, so we, we make a commitment. When we're together with the kids and the family, we never talk about business. I can't remember the last time when we've all been together with them and we're talking about business. We really shut it down. And I think just for us, it's just healthy at night to not get home and we still do this. We'll be literally going to sleep like, ah, oh, you know about that business? Uh, you know, it's like, it's like, really? The last thing you were talking about was business. So we, we really do have to make time not to talk about business and just have fun and just be a couple and be lovers and have the fun that couples do versus always 24-7. And I think that is a danger. Because, you know, because you know. if something hard happens at the office, you bring it home and you talk about it and you can obsess over about it. You yeah. get a bad review. You're going to have to hash that out. And sometimes you just have to stop. You do. You just have to have those boundaries. So it's not a bad idea. I wouldn't say we have official boundaries. With our kids, we do. We don't have like six o'clock, no more talking about business. I like my day to be flexible. Every day is different. Mm -hmm. I start some days at 10, some days at 11, some days at nine, whatever. It's like, and then I work some days till midnight, other days till two. Sometimes like yesterday, we took a whole day off and went to Disneyland. So it just depends on like to mix it up and do things. I'm very, in that sense, I can't just do the same grind every day. So we don't have hard, fast rules, but we do try to, we get home after dinner. We'll just watch a show together and relax. We won't talk about business. We'll just enjoy a moment for a couple hours and then I'll, she'll go to bed and I'll go back to work usually. <laughs> We, we try to do that. So I think it's one thing I think would let people know to be careful of that really make sure you have those boundaries. Because man, if you don't have any of that freedom and you're always working, that's where burnout happens, right? That's where you literally are on 24-7. And I don't think people are really meant to work that way. Another thing that was not now, but was a difficulty earlier on was that sometimes he would say no in business to me. And I would get mad. For <laughs> I, would, for no, I, I still struggle with this. That's why I said I'm trying yeah, to say but yes I, more. It's different. I, right now, I flow with your own. I'll be like, okay, I would disagree with you. But before, I would get mad. Yeah. I would get mad and I would attribute him saying no to every time he disappointed me in the past in our marriage. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I see. And I'd be like, he just doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to be successful. He <laughs> you know, whatever lies, I, yeah. you know, whatever it was, I took that and I would be really awful about things for a while. And, and it would bring up bad stuff in me where I had to like release it and say, this is crap, that junk that's just coming up from my heart. And it's not true about you. I had to do that work on my own to recognize I need to forgive him for disappointing me. He forgives me. He lives with me. He's easier to say, I'm sorry. But it took me a long time to be able to say, I realize I'm not an easy person to live with, but he does. I mean, I need to extend him that same grace. That took me a long time. So working through those personal things and recognizing I had to stop trying to punish him in the marriage. Mm -hmm. 
not going to do your laundry this week. She said no to me. You know, <laughs> I'm, gonna- I'm, I'm not going to clean your underwear. I'm going to clean all my clothes, but I'm not going to clean yours so that you'll figure it out. <laughs> Stuff like that, you like know? The passive way of the communicating, passive, which is you know? so damaging and so dysfunctional. But dysfunctional. I think for me, too, learning to say yes to her, like I said earlier, is really important because I think she's always got a million ideas and I struggle with wanting to always say no because it just makes my life easier to say no. But at the same time, she's really creative and has lots of good ideas. And I want to validate her and affirm her that she is valuable to me. And when I say no too much, I think she get, does feel like you're not important. Your ideas aren't good to me. I can do this on my own. That's why humility is so important. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's the best always. And I, usually I don't. And so I think I learned a lot that still struggling when she comes up with new ideas. She, by the way, all the crazy stuff that last con that happens, usually it comes from her. And <laughs> it's always like, I always sit there and go, oh gosh, really? You want to do that? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. People are going to love it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, they'll love it, but I'm going to die in the process. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I don't see it that way. I don't see the work. She doesn't see the logistics. I see the numbers and the hours of work to make that reality. Uh, But I've still learned I have to say yes. It helps so much more. It makes us happier. I embrace them more now as challenges. Like, oh, that's that's really cool. That's really hard. It's going to be really difficult. But you know what? That's what I'm here for. My job, I always see my role as the enactor or the executor, which I, I love that word. Yeah, that's my job. So don't resent my job. I signed up for this. I said I would do it. So I'm going to be the executor and I will find ways to make these things a reality instead of, I think earlier in, in the years, I sometimes would fight that or push back against that. Or sometimes wish I was the idea person. Like, oh, I wish I had all the brilliant ideas in the company. And and I do have, I do add some, but that said, I feel like more and more of them come out to us as crazy brain than mine. <laughs> yeah navigating that the intimate relationship you have as a couple and also navigating a very practical relationship in business is very hard because as human, it's hard for us to compartmentalize emotions. It's usually a default that we take things quite personally. I know I struggle with this. I, unlike Tessany, your approach was like to be passive in other way, but my approach was to shutting down. I just didn't want to share my side of my role with Phil. I don't want to talk about marketing with you. I don't want to talk about the creative side of things with you because that's my domain. And I struggle with inferiority complex, I think. So I feel like if he gives me a different idea, somehow that's challenging my intelligence and my intellect. And so I took it personally on that level. And then I just shut down by not communicating my vision as much with my partner, somebody who is supposed to help me execute my visions. And whenever he comes up with an idea, then I feel a struggle with what Paul says, like, well, I'm the idea person, you know, like (laughs) I should be the one, like you should just stick to the operations type, which that leads to another thing is like, I think it's a firm belief in UA that for me personally, as my leadership model is to never put someone in a job that they don't want to be in never put them in a role that they don't want to be in. I think that before us going into these partnerships with our significant other is that we have to understand what is their strength and weaknesses and what they enjoy doing. Because if a partnership is born out of necessity, because in our case it was, I needed someone to do operation because I didn't like it. It doesn't really work well in that way because now I'm putting a round peg in a square hole. So it just wouldn't fit and created so much conflict. So sometimes I feel like even if you love the idea of being in business with your partner, you have to consider whether your partner is going to enjoy their role. So it sounds like, Paul, you really enjoy that supportive role and executor. Yeah. And that's why you guys have this great synergy. Speaking of family, because you guys also have multiple kids as well, right? And you guys yeah. were just sharing how sometimes you bring business home. I'm going to be soon to be mama. You know, I'm... <laughs> what is what am I? 23 weeks along. Yes. And my baby, it's gonna come out on August 10th. So any advice that you have for a soon-to-be family woman? How do I juggle that balance between my family and my work? Because, you know, I think ultimately some of the value to me is family. I want to create connection. I want to create deep, enriched relationship. But you guys have said that the struggle is turning it off. So yeah. I like to hear over your 17 years, Tustin, for you especially, right? Over your 17 years of experience, what are some of the things that you've learned and what are some of the advice that you can give to help someone to balance that? The thing is that when I became a mom, being a mom took priority over everything else. 
because my children are the only ones in the entire world that are going to call me mom. And they're the only ones that I have a God-given responsibility to do right by and to raise and to nurture and to care for. Now, when I had work, sometimes work would come in, into my life in such a way that it would be so demanding that I would resent my kids. I would resent their needs. I would resent my husband's needs. And that's a really dangerous place to be in. If I can just speak to anybody who's in that position right now, it's like times I lost track of what was most important to me. And the thing is that when you put your kids' needs off or your husband's needs off, they can survive for a short time. But over time, they begin to realize that they're not priorities and they begin to adapt to your lack of coping. Yeah, they they begin to adapt. And and those that consequence usually does not produce good things in the relationship and in their development. What I think is really important is to make sure that you prioritize. When my rascals were really little, I stayed at home and I didn't go back to work until my youngest was in kindergarten. At the time, that's when I started doing more of the aesthetics and he stayed at home to take care of though. It just coincided with his work because he could work from I, home. I could work from home. You know? Pretty but, much until 2011. I mean, for six years, until Fee was like 11 or 12, I was home every afternoon at three o'clock, pick up the kids, drove them around. We just switched roles, which was a little, again, we were not traditional family where the dad's the one that does all the work. And in those days, she was at the office from like eight or nine in the morning to like seven at night. And I was cooking dinner and I was driving the kids around. I was working during the day when they were at school because my job allowed me to, but she, it was very uh, not traditional. And this, so our goal was always to make sure the kids were number one priority, that someone was around for the kids, that they weren't just being left in daycare from 7 a.m. till 6 p.m. Kind now, of ignored. I know that some families do not have that choice. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I'm not trying to lay on guilt on this. This is just our values that what we what we could work out around our schedule. Yeah. Sometimes I run into people like at LashCon or other events and they're saying, I really want to do this. I really want to do this, but my kids are little and I really can't and I can't. And what I like to do for those gals is to say, listen, you are doing the most important job ever. You may think that you're not relevant in the world right now because you're not making a killing on your lash business. But what you are doing matters most for eternity and you are writing your life on your child's heart. And people, I believe, are eternal. They're a good investment. So I try to say, don't feel like you have to slay the world with your lash business because there are seasons for everything. You're knee deep in it with the kids. Make those kids your priority so that you don't have to be ashamed later on. And know that there's a season when they go to school, you're going to have more time. When they leave the house, you're going to have more time. A lot more time. (laughs) Right? And so, Cheryl, for you, it may be a season. Maybe a season where you really step back with leadership and your role. You get other things in place. The thing that's most painful is when you get to a point where you actually resent your children. And if you're at that point where you feel something's got to give, I don't want that for you. I want you to have joy in knowing that there will be some loss knowing that, well, I'm not really at the forefront of my career right now. There's times for that. But making an investment in your family is worth it. It's always worth it. And and it's thinking bigger picture. We're so in the here and now, especially with Instagram, right? People always want to see results now. But thinking bigger picture for people when they're having kids, like, you know what? Maybe the business will slow down a little bit and or you get other people in roles that take certain positions that you did and you pull back. So you can be there for your kids. So you can be there for your family. Knowing that in five, 10 years, you'll get more of that time back. And it seems like forever, five years, six years, Mm -hmm. eight years, but it's not. Someone who's 56 can tell you it happens way fast, goes by way too quick. And our youngest is 22 and she's be graduating from school this December. And it's super sad for me because it's like, I'm done. Like she's going to move out and it's be over. And that, that all happened way too quick. It goes by fast. Let me tell you, when she was three, she was crawling all over me. And I was listening to a speaker who was a dynamic speaker, accomplished so much in her life. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. I have all these hopes and aspirations to it. And, it. and it came time for questions. And I asked, I said, so what would your advice be to somebody? You know, how can I start making a difference in the world? And she looked at me with this kid crawling all over me. She's like, well, I see that you've got a little one right now. She's like, I just want you you to embrace that little one right now because there's only a limited time where you have this much impact influence in her life. And so she's like, I know I'm going to tell you something that's not very satisfying to you, but making a killing in your career does not matter right now. She says, you need Mm. to those kids. And she was right. I was like, I know she was deflated. I was totally deflated because you know what? Being a mom is hard. Being a mom and being a wife and being a caregiver is hard. And sometimes in my secret moments, I wanted to get out of the house because I didn't want to be at home changing 
changing diapers because it was so hard and I was so tired of it. So I dreamed about other things. Yeah. But honestly, it was really good advice that she gave me. And even though I didn't like it and it wasn't sexy, I did to some extent, you take, take in, that yeah. advice. And the biggest regrets that I have are the times in my life that I was turned off to my family because I was so focused on my business. And at the time, it doesn't matter anymore at this point. What matters is the relationships. Yeah, being so, patient. Just be yeah, patient. Be patient and yeah. invest in the relationships. So sometimes the business will have to take a, a second. Backseat. Backseat. Thank you. And it, <laughs> But it's, it's a worthwhile investment. It's a worthwhile trade. Yeah. Yeah, this reminds me of an analogy that I've heard once, how different area and aspect of your lives are made out of these balls. But some are made out of plastic and some are made out of glass. And family and children and motherhood, these are made out of glass because once you drop it, you can repair it. But something like business, opportunity, they're made out of plastic. You can drop them and they bounce back. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Steal that one. Yeah. You guys have no idea for the listeners. There's no video for this. It's so cute every time when you guys are talking about your relationship and your marriage. Like you guys talk to each other. Tusney and Paul would turn to each other, watch yeah. each other, and talk to each other. But then like, you know, other things you guys are like looking at the screen, talking to us. It's really cute to watch. Yeah. I love observing you guys. Like yeah, every time, actually, that's something I've always observed. That even when I've been invited onto your podcast, that like whenever Paul talks, Tessany just like gazes at Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of gazing, let's just say, because Paul does majority of the talking. I talk too much. So there's a lot of gazing from Tessany. <laughs> yeah. That's a sweet observation, Cheryl. Thank you. Okay. Well, I do have a question. Since we are pretty open here and you guys, thank you guys so much for being so open and so vulnerable. This question is for you, Paul, actually. I wanted to know, how did you navigate that feeling of Tessany kind of being the breadwinner for that period of time in the family, in a society where you are expected by these very toxic cultural expectation of being the breadwinner? How did you navigate that? And I think that sometimes as women, we get into a situation where we almost want to dim our light and shrink our success. And those who are listening, if you're building a successful business and maybe your partner and your significant other, and especially if it's a husband, someone who it's a man, have these societal expectations, they probably want to hear from a man's perspective. How did you navigate those feelings and not grow resentment and still continue a healthy relationship? Thanks. No, that's a great question. And I've had other men reach out and ask that because they do resent their wives. They do resent their partners sometimes. And they they don't want to, but you're right. Our culture has this really back-ass mindset. Like the man, it's like we're stuck in the 1950s where the man goes to work and he does the job, wife stays home. Well, men get a a definite sense of um, purpose purpose by making a living. They do. There is a little bit more, I think, in the DNA or wiring or culture, whatever it is that where men are seen to be able to do that. For me... It's weird because there's some things that you just are naturally born with and, and, and you're given as a, I feel like as part of your way you're wired. And the way I was wired, my mentality is ego was not always a big part of me. I'm more about the community than I was about myself, generally speaking. Not always. There's things I'm super selfish and a told jerk about. But, but it's why he can apologize first and yeah. really mean it. I can totally see that. I can apologize yeah. really quick. When I screw up, I'm like, I am so sorry. I really messed up. She'll take a week to get back to me and go, you know that thing a week ago? Sorry. <laughs> I really don't want to say this, but I'm sorry. Like, that just wasn't something that was it was in her wiring, the way she worked with things. So for me, being the little, I think I was always just born to be always a group kind of person. I really love, I mean, film is very collaborative. Like film, the film industry, it's always about the team. It's all about the community. So for me to see our life in seasons, we had a season where I was the main breadwinner and I was working all the hours and, and I realized, and I saw this younger in my life. I began to realize there are seasons to everything. There's not ever one way and boom, that's it's the rest forever. of your life. No, it's always like, oh, this is a season. We'll be like this. When my business was not doing as well and she began to take off, I, I kind of saw the cue. I saw the, the stars or where the future. I'm like, wow, she's really taken off. Why would I not let her have her chance? She supported me for 15 years to pursue my dream. Why would I hold her back from her dreams and let her do it? So I just said, you know what? I will take over and take care of the kids. I will do more of the work. I cooked, I cleaned, I became Mr. Mom, right? And I really was glad to do that because she supported me for 15 years. And it was felt like the perfect switch to do that. And funny, now we are now like 
10, 11 years later, and we're kind of beginning to switch the other way, where more of the, the financial responsibility is falling back onto me with LashCon and our coaching and all these other things we're doing. And she's part of that, but I'm really the one driving all that. And now, she, and her business, which was Lashes, is now becoming more our secondary business. So it's a new season. Again. So I would say to some men that are listening or wives who want to speak truth to their husbands is that know that it's it's going to be a season. Things will change. Once you get to a certain point of stability, you can renegotiate different things. Yeah. Mm. Just like even like being a mom, it's going to be for a season. And then when they get to a certain maturity or a certain level, you can renegotiate duties and roles and stuff. And one other thing too is about being team, right? I mean, when the team, when we win, I win, right? It's not just me winning. I think too often we think in life about, oh, it's just about me, get my thing done. And what about my needs? What about, but I've learned the more I serve her and the more I help her to win, it just goes back to me and I end up winning. And we as a couple win. So it's really thinking a little bit bigger picture because it's so easy to get caught in our little silos thinking just about what I need to win and what I need to survive. And now I think, especially when you're married to someone, it's about, no, no, no. I need to make sure she's winning. I need to be serving her. And then that as a team, as a community, we win. I want to share one thing about that just validates what he just said, that he is so team oriented. So like I said before, we were struggling with, I was like, I'm going to leave you. And for a while, I was still determined, even after the tide had turned and he was so kind, I was just like, I don't know if I believe him. I've been so hurt. So part of this, and this is really ugly, so I am going to be extremely vulnerable here, you guys, but I retained sole ownership of the business. It was completely integrity lash. Integrity lash. And that was a matter of pride for me. It's my business. It's my business. So if anything ever happened, I had something to fall back on, right? Mm-hmm. But for a while, it was a symbol for me. It was like, I didn't want to give it to him. Even though he'd been working with me for several years, he would still go in front of people and say, no, no, I'm an employee. She's the boss. Even though he's starting to run everything, he just, he wore it. And he just, to me, it wasn't like he was trying to get something. He really did mean what he said. And he really did serve, serve me so humbly. I can't tell quite where I was ashamed. I was ashamed to be like, this is all mine. You know, you can't have any. And so anyway, I just wanted to say that we don't have that kind of, we're in partnership together now. Yeah. And I'm just so thankful that you are so humble that you just to serve me like that, even though I was so ugly to you. Well, so thank we you. both have had our ugly moments. So yes. it, we're equally sharing that yes. title. It's, it's, it's just grace. You have grace for one another. Yeah. You forgive each other. Yeah, that's the most important part. Like no one is perfect. Finding a partner, most importantly, regardless if it's a romantic partner that you're going to go into business with or just a business partner is knowing that what is their, I guess you can call it window of tolerance and having those difficult conversations about their windows of tolerance. For example, for I know that personally, I probably would be a disastrous person to work with for an extreme type A because my fluctuations and my flexibility would be very uncomfortable within their window of tolerance. But this is something that I'm very open with our team about who I am and that, what did you call it, Paul? The scatterbrainness. I'm so upfront about it that if they choose to stay with me, and I hope that it's because they accept that. It's within the window of tolerance of how I work. And so Having these really, really difficult conversation, it's so important. What I'm learning from you guys is like, just because you're entering this relationship with somebody, you already know, you feel like there, it's already these relationships that you already previously built up. That's even more important for you to really establish boundaries and have these tough conversations. Because sometimes we can avoid those conversations because A, maybe we assume that we're on the same page. You know, we're married, we're in a relationship together. Like we see eye to eye and then we just make these assumptions or sometimes we can just feel like, ah, we don't need to talk about it. Like it will sort itself out. Like I feel like couples sometimes have this, I know I have that fault, is that we assume that we're mind reader of our partners (laughs) when we sell them our... Never. (laughs) Never. I think she reads minds better than I do, but definitely, generally, no. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Well, Paul and Tessany, I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast today. And I do have a question that kind of, to wrap this up, that's a little bit more business analytical. I love all of this and choosing and selecting a good partner for your business and how to balance like 
if it is someone really close to you in your personal life with business. But we didn't actually get too much into the financial side. So I wanted to ask one more question. What would your advice be on how to distribute shares? How do you recommend to set up ownership? Because oftentimes people even get into a marriage without thinking of a prenup. So I know that's like more marriage, but with business, people don't always set up their business for success and anything can happen. And I think that's going to go back onto the humility, patience, trust, respect. Having all that set up in the beginning is probably pretty important. But do you have any advice on that topic? Well, I definitely think you should always, I mean, for us, we weird enough with the new business, it actually, I own 100% of the new business and she owns none of it right now. But that was only because of our legal issues that we had with our old business with the, the labor industry. Like, and that's only is. a temporary thing eventually. But that said, I would suggest anytime you're going into the business, you have to sit down and write a contract. I have talked to too many people who've gotten the business and they just say, oh, they're my friend. Oh, they're my wife. Oh, they're my husband. We don't need a contract. No, stop. I have, that never works out, almost never works out well. There's always going to be eventually a point where I'm carrying most of the work. Why am I working more than you? So I should get more of the company. And then they come back and you have to negotiate and you fight over it. It creates a lot of tension. So like you said, I think it's really important when you sit down and say, well, you want to do business, whether your partner or someone else, you need to sit down and get a lawyer, someone you trust, a good lawyer, not a bad lawyer like we've hired in the past, but a good lawyer. They cost more, by the way. And just say, we want to lay it all out. We want to lay all the expectations about how the company's divided. Also, you want to decide what workloads. Like maybe one person's going to do more work. Maybe one person's going to be in the office all the day. One's going to work remote. One's going to be maybe only working 20 hours a week because they have kids or they have other commitments. Whatever it is, that all has to be laid out. It has to be very clearly defined. And then maybe every once a year, you should meet at least once a year and have almost like a define the relationship. All right, that was a good year. Let's review everything, what worked, what didn't work. Now let's go forward for the next year and let's plan out how we want to work this year. Maybe you need to rewrite the contract. Maybe you need to rewrite your, define your hours and what you expect. If you don't do this regularly, we just kind of, you're going to wait till the problem arises. And at that point, it's It's maybe too late. Because you've already gotten all this bitterness and anger and all this pent up frustration. And now you're like, that's it. I'm done. We're going to talk about this. Damn it. And you're like, I hate you, by the way. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, ah, it's going to be hard to kind of work it out, right? Because you're so mad and so angry and you're going to really vent on them. What you really want to do is plan it out, be diligent. This is where a little discipline is really going to serve you, go a long way, where you put in the calendar, you make those meetings make those commitments. And then it's not going to be easy by any means, but at least now you have a contract, something to look at. And this is how I even say with employees, how you work with employees. You can go back and say, what did I hire you? How did we agree to work? You look at your list, go, well, actually, it looks like I'm doing your job now because I just look at our contract and we laid it out and I'm supposed to do this and I'm doing that. And now you have at least a point back to you and say, but see, that's not how we're going to do things in this business because you said you weren't going to do that and you are now. And if you want to renegotiate that, we can, but it really creates clear boundaries that you won't then violate. And or if you do violate, you can at least call a foul and throw a flag and go, wait, 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 we're now not no longer working the way we said we would. And that way gives you something to start with. And then really, again, being very open and honest to have that communication, constant communication and holding each other accountable. That's the one thing in the beauty industry I think no one likes doing. No one likes to hold anyone accountable for anything because we're so scared of being hated, being disliked. But I promise you, if you don't hold people accountable, down the road, you're going to have that horrible conversation the way you never wanted to have it. And it's going to go so bad that you may burn the relationship. So it's better just have those constant conversations that when, when the anger or the frustration is short and small before it becomes a beast that devours your company. Do you have anything else you want to add? I was going to say, in terms of like compensation and things like that, the only thing that I could offer some guidelines on, and you're going to have to fill in with me because I don't exactly know. I've been a consultant for a company for a little while. And the way that they've done it with me has been, in the very beginning, there was no money up front, but I was promised shares, right? So you can do things like shares and then also do things like, if we see these goals met by our partnership, then they will be vested. And then the stock will be worth such and such, that kind of stuff like that's that. All, all, that's all trading stuff, but that's irrelevant. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just, I, <laughs> is it helpful or is it not? I don't know. Well, vesting shares and all that's a totally different thing. Okay. That's not what we're doing right here. But that said, I think, yeah, dividing up shares, and that's just going to be based on workload. I think what you decide, and you have to be very self-aware of what you're capable of doing and what they're capable and be very honest. Yeah, I think that money is always a conversation that's very uncomfortable, even between 
people in general, right? It's just like this conversation as a society, we're not really taught to have and we're not really taught to be transparent about it. It's always beating around the bush. But I remember a quote from like Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, that really resonated with me. And she said that how well your organization run is a direct reflection of how many difficult conversations you're willing to have. That's same with relationship as well especially when we're talking about this complex dynamic that we're in, where we're in a part business partnership with our significant other. Communication and transparency, it's more important than ever, even though it's equally important. But I always feel like if you ever get to a situation where resentment bill and there's these complicated legal battles and all of that, that just means that boundary wasn't set in the beginning. Difficult conversation wasn't had in the beginning. And to set your business up for success, you want to give your business a chance to win and you want to give your relationship a chance to succeed at something together. Then the best way to do this is to have all those tough conversations right off the bat. Yeah. And, and don't do things like hide things up from each other. If you're getting into a business and you're trying to hide money or you're hiding your time, what you're doing, or you're just, just being deceitful, don't be shocked if a year from now, the whole thing's just a yeah. hot mess because mm. you're not coming to the table as a fair, in good faith, right? You're just doing, you're doing what they want or you're saying what they want to hear, but you're not really playing on that level playing field. And that never works out with you. I think transparency, you're right, is absolutely necessary. And because that's where that trust will build. Because like, oh, you're showing me everything. I'm showing you everything. And now I can trust you. And then you can go deeper in the relationship. So yeah, I think that's smart. Absolutely. Well, Paul and Tosani, thank you guys so much. Unfortunately, like I said, we don't have forever. We'll probably have you guys on another time and discuss some other thing, a topic that I'm personally extremely interested in. It's like the growth of your leadership. How did you go from plainly put sucking to figuring out? <laughs> I think that that would be something that very relatable to our listeners because personally, like I've kind of went through that journey myself as well. Yeah. So it's a pleasure having you guys on and we can't wait to maybe do this again another time. Absolutely. We're, the feeling is mutual. You know me, I'll talk anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Get me with people and I'll hang out all day. It doesn't matter. So. <laughs> That's a wrap, guys. We are done. We are out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to ask you to please follow us on Instagram at Lashcast and at the Lash Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review. On behalf of my Lash Baby Corn Tusney, as well as our special guests, Amory and Cheryl, or actually, it's almost the opposite way. We were their special guests. I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing, and remember, you have a friend in the lash industry. Lash Cast.